And it's just a joy to be able to share with you by way of the internet and uh, many of you who uh, are watching these sessions or have been with us in live sessions uh, here at the Research Center and also in different meetings throughout the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so we just greet you. Now, in these particular sessions, what we call the Wednesday Bible studies, we've been looking at what is actually the reality of our salvation. Sweetheart, in the Scripture and by the Spirit of God, I mean the continually present work of the Spirit of God, the focus of our salvation, whether it's, as I said, in the Scripture, that salvation that the Scripture declares is the very salvation that Christ is now in you. The very salvation that the Spirit of God continually deals with us. And the focus is not on something far away. It's not on something far off. The focus of our salvation, again, given in the Scriptures and taught by the Spirit of God, is not a salvation that is in any way, shape, or form yet to come. And this has been the thing up on my heart for several months now. And we've been talking about the reality of being in Christ, which is the reality of our salvation. Our salvation is, in fact, our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our salvation is gathered up in, perfected in, completed in the person of the eternal Son of God. Our salvation is not in Christ who is far away. Our salvation is in Christ who dwells in us. Christ in you is a familiar term that we use because it's a familiar term we see in the Scripture. We have not come to a testimony of good things to come, we have come to the person of those good things, and in Him they are now come. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But what I want, to, I, 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 I got up this morning with one thing on my mind, and that is the exalted view of the Son of God, the Father, bringing us, you and I, to 
an exalted view of Christ, bringing you and I to His view of Christ. So I want to talk to you for a while about His view of Christ. When we see Christ, we have seen our very present and our very eternal salvation. When we see Christ, we have seen the one whose body we are, the one who lives in us, and the one by whom we live. Everything of our salvation is summed up in Christ. Now, we've also, in connection with the reality of being in Christ, we've been looking at Zion. Mount Zion. And I've been talking about that some on different sessions that, that we have, that I, you do here, uh, both on Sunday mornings, on, on Wednesdays, and on the uh, monthly CDs that uh, we send out to those who, you know, desire to have them. And we've been talking about Zion. And I want to read something here. Uh, that we started with, it's something that Paul speaks of in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Uh, Paul is always, always uh, bringing everything of the Scripture. The Scripture as it was given through the prophets as it was given to Israel. And Paul is always bringing all things from the Scripture over into their fulfillment in Christ. And Paul never, never, hon, you never, anywhere in the Scripture Anywhere in his writings, in his writings, in his epistles, which is the same thing he said throughout, throughout the church and throughout the places where he went and the body that he ministered to. But nowhere in the New Testament do we find Paul Taking our salvation beyond Christ. Or, let me say it this way, never speaking of a salvation that is yet to come beyond Christ. He, he does not speak of our salvation as a relationship that is coming one day. Paul is one who sums up everything God has given by the prophets, everything that he has, all of the promises he's given, 
Paul sums all of that up in Christ himself. And it is Paul, it is Paul more than anyone else, at least we have more of his epistles than anyone else, but it is Paul who gathers all of the intention of God, all of the purpose, plans of God. He gathers them up in their completeness and shows them to be complete in Christ. In Colossians 2, you, you can read that chapter, but in Colossians 2, Paul says a tremendous thing concerning Christ, but every time Paul brings into view a view that obviously has been brought forth in his soul by the Spirit of God. But every time Paul brings into view an exaltation of Christ, and therein he, he brings us into a union with that very view of Christ. You'll read in Colossians 2 where Paul says, concerning Christ, in him, for it pleased God that in Him, in Christ, it pleased God that in Him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, sweetheart, that is a real summation of everything relating to God. Everything <laughs> relating to God being summed up in Christ. You can read it. For it was the good pleasure of the Father that in Him all fullness does dwell. And Paul is speaking of that in Colossians as well. Even the, even the, the fullness, the fullness of the Spirit dwelling in Christ the fullness of wisdom and knowledge dwelling in Christ, the, the fullness of all things, all fullness was the term. It pleased God that in Him should all fullness dwell. We're talking about our salvation, hon. We're talking about Christ. We're talking about the one who is now dwelling in the believer, not who one day will dwell in the believer, who now dwells in the believer as the very person, as the very spirit, as the very head, as the very sum total and substance of our salvation. So Paul says it, please, that in, that in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And the very next thing he says is, and you are complete in Him. There is nothing outside of Him that represents our salvation. There's nothing other than Him that's, that represents or that is our salvation. 
There is not a work of God yet to come. Christ Himself is the absolute, perfect, fulfilled work of God. And this is what I want to hammer on today. Because it is the reality of our being in Christ. And it is the reality of Christ dwelling in you and I. These things are true. And they're things that the Spirit of God teaches and opens our eyes to see if we will but set our heart upon the knowing of Him. So we started this, this business with Zion in Hebrews 12, simply by reading from verse 18 through 22. And here, Paul, the writer of Hebrews, and, and most agree that it is Paul, is showing that with regard to Israel uh, in the Scripture, with regard to the church, that he is, to whom he is writing, whether it is the Hebrews, uh, the, the, the Jews that have come to the Lord, because this is the letter to the Hebrews. But Paul is showing here the two mountains that are spoken of uh, throughout the Scripture, being the Scripture being the Old Testament. And uh, in verse 18, the mountain that he's speaking of here is Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where all of the Old Covenant, and I'm just going to say it that way because that's really what happened. All of the Old Covenant was brought into focus. The law was given there. The uh, tabernacle uh, was given there, the priesthood, everything of that economy was given to Moses during the time that Moses was upon the mountain, Mount Sinai. This is also the time that, that, that Israel that had, hadn't been all that long out of, out of Egypt uh, didn't think Moses was ever coming off of the mountain and, 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 and they were afraid of that mountain and all of that. And so they decided that they should build an altar and build an, an idol, a golden calf, with all of the golden stuff they brought out with them and worship it. And that all took place while, while, while God was speaking to Moses upon Mount Sinai. Verse 18, Paul says, For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, and unto blackness and darkness and tempest. I'm not going to get carried away in that, but he's simply saying, this is not what you have come to in Christ. This is not the salvation to which we have come. This is not. This is not what God hath brought you to in His Son. This, this is not 
Christ. This is not Christ. And in verse 22 he says, But you are come to Mount unto Mount Zion. And then he goes on with that as well. Everything that is gathered up in what Zion represents and what Zion represented throughout the scripture. 150 some odd times we, we see the term Zion in the Old Testament. But every time it is speaking of that which is fulfilled in Christ. Every time. So these references throughout the Old Testament are references of Christ. And Paul is saying, this is what you've come to. You have come to Mount Zion. And it's really the only time that Mount Zion is mentioned in the New Testament. But you see, Paul is writing here to the Hebrews, all of whom are, all of whom are very aware of all of the prophecies and all of the, and all of the meanings of Zion and of Mount Zion. They understand that the temple of, the temple of Solomon was built upon Mount Zion. They understand that Abraham took Isaac and it turned out to the same mountain that is called Mount Zion. And over and over and over again, their prophets speak of Zion. In every case, Zion is pointing to that salvation which comes in Christ. And Paul also knows that. So he's saying, here's what you have come to. Look how he says it, but ye are come. Up here he says, ye are not come. This isn't, this isn't present. This isn't what you, you are not come. But here he says, but you are come. Not you're coming. Not one day you're coming. Not we're marching. None of that. To beautiful, beautiful Zion. No, ye are come to Mount Zion. And we've made, we've, we've, we've made a study on that and been relating that to you. Because it's the same thing as saying you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are come to Christ, and if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. So we've been seeing that Zion represents the reality of our being in Christ. The point that we want to look at is that Zion is not a form of religion. Sinai was. Sinai was. Zion is not a form of religion. Zion speaks of living union with Christ. Zion speaks of completement. Let me read something to you here that I intended to do this. That Brother Sparks said, oh, years ago, with regard to Zion. And 
And he says it very well, and he says it in the exact way that we are presenting it here concerning our union with Christ. So just reading a, a paragraph. First of all, we say Zion is an, is an inclusive, is an inclusive and a comprehensive term. In other words, we are come to the all-inclusive and all-comprehending thought and intention of God when we have come into the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we may have to grow in our apprehension and understanding of that to which we have come in Christ. But in Christ, hon, we have all as a reality that Zion ever did represent and speak of. So what we've done, hon, is that in Zion, or in Christ, we've come to Zion. In Christ, we have come to Zion. We have come to more than a theology and a religion and a form of religion. Lord, help us. Oh, in Christ, we have come to the living one who now and eternally liveth in us. Can you get a hold of this? Eternity is not something we're waiting on. Eternity has come in the person of the eternal one and now lives in you and now lives in me. Oh, darling. We're not waiting on eternal life. Eternal life lives in us. The eternal one, the incorruptible one, the everlasting one, the one who shall never die again, the one who in his death by the cross conquered death and Hades, put it aside, put it away, Made it, made it, not just made it weak, made it as nothing. Tremendous thing. I keep wanting to in our next CD, and I haven't got it done yet, concerning Zion, that I want to speak on Zion representing the supreme Victory of Christ. And the supreme victory of Christ is life having victory over death. And that in life there is found no more death. And we've come to life and that life is Christ. Not life in as, humani as human life and, and as humanity knows about life. No, no. Because humanity looks at the life we're talking about and says, yes, when we die, we'll all go here and we'll all do this and that. It, no, that's not true. Life comes with Christ. And when this body of mine dies, 
Life is not affected at all. You understand that? Well, we won't get off on that right now. But in coming to Zion, we've come into We've come to a living salvation. We've come to a living Son. We have come to a living exaltation of that Son by the Father. That's what Zion speaks of throughout the Scripture. And Paul brings all of that together, sums Zion up in Christ and says, Ye are come unto Mount Zion. And it's in Christ that we have come. And it's in Christ that we are a new creation, where old things, and it's not talking about things in your past life, it's talking about the old things of the Scripture. It's talking about the old things of the law, the old things of the old covenant, the old things that are passed away. Even those things which one once spoke of Christ have been now fulfilled in Christ. See, there are not promises that are given of God in the Scripture. Now, you hear me carefully on this. There are not yet unfulfilled promises of God. There are not promises given in the Scriptures that are yet unfulfilled in Christ. We may, we may be ignorant of all that is fulfilled in Christ, but there's nothing left out. Now, I want to go back here and just read this paragraph because this is basically what it says here. We have come, we are come to the all-inclusive and all-comprehensive thought and intention of God when we have come into the Lord Jesus Christ. We've come to Zion. We may have to grow in our apprehension and understanding of that to which we have come, but God has nothing whatever to add to what we have come to in Christ. In Christ we have all. God has reached His end. That is His, His eternal thought, intention, and goal in His Son. Finished His new creation in His Son, and entered into His rest, something that we'll be talking about at other times. The sum of all God's work is represented in the symbolic name Zion, but Zion is seen to be not only Christ personal, but in a corporate way. It includes the people who dwell in Zion, as well as Zion. Then, Zion represents those who are in the complete, perfect work of Christ. The people who are the vessel of that work of the Lord 
which is complete. We are not, we are come to something perfect. Now, I do not say that we are perfect, but His work is perfect, and He who is the perfect, He who is the perfect is not only with us, He is in us. Now, we've been saying the same thing and talking about that, but I just wanted to read how Brother Sparks put that several years back. You are come to Mount Zion. And I mentioned to you a while ago in Colossians that every time Paul spake of Christ. And remember, remember something Paul says. Remember what he says. It pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, to reveal His Son in me, to open the eyes of my understanding, to reveal His Son in me that I might preach him. Everything that Paul preaches comes out from the seeing of that son. Paul preaches salvation. It's from the seeing of that son. Paul preaches righteousness. It's from the seeing of that son. Paul preaches our rest. It's from the seeing of that son who, who is the complete total and perfect work of God. That son who in doing that work of God, who presented himself as that work of God, has completed and made perfect that work and has finished that work and that son has entered into his rest. And we have come to that son. We dwell in that son. And Zion is always being spoken of in the Old Covenant, in, in the Old Testament, as a rest. In fact, there is a there are scripture there where God says, This is my rest forever. Herein will I dwell, for I have chosen it. And very clearly there he's speaking of Mount Zion. Well, he is speaking in promise, prophecy, and type and shadow, and using representation language, he is speaking of his Son. He is speaking of Christ. He is speaking of the work of God in Christ. Huh? We are come. We are come. But what I wanted to, I keep saying here, what I'm looking at is, all right, we've talked about, we've talked about being in Christ, Scriptures are full of that. That's a reality of our salvation. We have talked about Zion, which points to that reality throughout the Old Testament Scripture. It is pointing to that, and that's what I'm kind of trying to gather together here. But the thing that keeps coming to me is all of this is satisfied in a person. None, this, none of this is just about Jesus. It is 
Jesus Christ, our Lord, the indwelling, everlasting Son of God to you who are born from above. Hallelujah. So Christ is not just being talked about. He is the substance of the reality of being in Christ. When we say in Christ, in Christ, two, I don't know, 200 and some odd times in Christ. But in Christ is not simply a positional term. In Christ, hun, is declaring a glorious union with Christ himself. It's not, it is greater than the disciples who walked with him, walked around him, were with him up and down, and you, you know, wherever he went, they were with him. But he was still really in one place and they were in another even when they were touching him. He was still in one place, they were in another. And we're, we're, if we get to it, we'll read in John 14. We'll either get there or we won't. But there he speaks of, he speaks of the very union, the very salvation that is coming. He speaks of the reality of our being in Christ. But our being in Christ, what I wanted to tell you, is not, is not just a positional thing. It is a living thing. A living thing. John 14. John 14, I'll probably read that, but in verse 20, he sums it up. He sums it up. In that day, speaking of the day that he dwells in you, and you dwell in him, in that day, because there isn't any other day, that's the only day, it's the Sabbath day. The only day a new creation has is the Sabbath day. It's a day of complete rest. It's a day of fulfillment. It's a day of the perfect work of God. Christ presents the Father nothing less than perfection. Whether it's in his sacrifice that he gave or whether it's in the work of God, total work that he finished. Not only of taking away the first, but of the establishing of the second. Oh, hallelujah. Not only doing away with the old, but bringing in the new. And he presents that to the Father in himself. And he presents us to the Father in himself. Hallelujah, hon. So when he presents us to the Father, he's not presenting many. He is presenting one son and one body of that one son in whom that son dwells and lives. Oh, hon. God spoke of that with regard to Zion in the Old Testament. And we've talked about that in, 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 in several of the monthly CDs. And we've talked about it every time I sit down here and start talking about Zion. And start talking about our union with Christ. And start talking about the reality of our being in Christ. We've been reading verses in the scripture concerning that. Well, we'll continue to do it. Zion is such an enormous subject because it represents 
such an enormous sense, such a exceeding above and beyond salvation, such a glorious Zion represents a fullness, and that fullness is only found in Christ. Now that's why there's so much to be said about Zion, typically and in and in, but and and in the Old Testament. But every time that God truly begins to describe Zion itself, He always does it by bringing it into a relationship with His Son. And I'd like to read that to you uh, before, before we finish it here. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't have my timer up here with me, and that's all right. But I do want to read something to you here. I'll get to it. <laughs> and it's in Psalms 2. Psalms 2. And if I come back to it again, that'll be fine. Psalms 2. God looks at a condition that was on the earth. Uh, it's a condition that He has found on the earth several times. It may be a condition that He finds on the earth right now. I know it was a condition particularly and particularly spoken of here in Psalms 2 that He found in the known world, and particularly in the old world, known as Israel after the flesh, Judaism. The, the age of the law, the age of the old covenant. And it's explained here, the, 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 the uh, everything but rest, all that was being found there. And then it gives God's answer. And hun, that's God's answer wherever, whenever the confusion is all around us out here. I mean north, south, east, west, throughout the whole of, let's say, maybe the United States, whatever. Or maybe it's in your community, or maybe it's in your job, or maybe it's in your heart. Just a lot of confusion. And a lot of, yes, confusion. Well, God has one answer for that. He had one answer for an old creation. He has one glorious, glorious answer for the new creation in Christ Jesus. It's the same answer. It's the same answer. While one might be taken away by that answer, because the answer is just this, hon. It is God bringing in to view an exaltation of His Son. Showing His Son to be who that He is. For no man, Jesus said, knoweth who the Son is, save the Father. And no man knoweth who the Father is, save the Son, and whoever He will reveal Him to. And that's true. But that's God's answer. Well, we could stay on that forever. Psalms 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Oh, dear. 
and kings of the earth, rulers of the earth, would how it could be translated, set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. I mean, it's not just against each other. Finally, it's all against God. And finally, God's going to get the blame one way or another. That's true, honey. That's true. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords. Verse 3 there. And verse 4. He that setteth in the heavens shall laugh. And this is the Father. This is God. And the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. And that looks right to the cross. Right to the cross. Even Han when with Noah and the flood, the whole thing there is such a tremendous type of the judgment of the cross and the coming out of all of that death and destruction and judgment, a new creation in Christ. That's a type and shadow there. But this is speaking of something that isn't. The cross is not a type and shadow, it's a reality. That's a true work of God by which we are now in Christ Jesus. Except that, except that that work take place, that Christ totally finished in His death, in His burial, and in His resurrection, and Him coming forth as the resurrection, and the life for those who will hear His voice and receive Him. He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision, and shall speak unto them in His wrath. Several times the Scriptures say in the Gospels that the Jews would ask Jesus continually, trying to, trying to throw Him off, trying to, um, you know, trying to catch Him in a lie. Uh, oh, Lord. <laughs> We've seen a lot of examples of that here recently in various things. They're always trying to catch him in something. Always they were. Why? Because they always wanted to get rid of him. They always, but, they, but with the them, they wasn't just getting rid of him. They wanted to kill him. Speaking of Jesus now. Speaking of Jesus now. And God's answer to that was, verse 6, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. What was God's answer to all of that during the ministry of Christ and what he come to do? Well, he came to die. But all of those that were trying to kill him didn't know that. They had no idea that when they took him to the cross... They were sealing their own fate. The Jews had no idea 
that when he was crucified, he was taken away the first that he might bring in an altogether new, a new creation. I mean, even Paul, Peter tells them, if you, if you had any understanding at all, if you'd known what you were doing, you would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But they did. God's answer was the exaltation of his son, hon. I've set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Can I just remind you, ye are come to Mount Zion. Not in type, not in shadow. You have come to the real deal. <laughs> you have come to the real deal. You have come to what God has done in His Son. And that means you have come to the fullness of who the Son is. And that Son lives in you. That Son is your salvation. And you are the body of that Son. And you dwell in that Son. You've been brought into the fellowship of that son. Hallelujah, hon. You have come into God's eternal rest. You've come into the pure and perfect work of God in Christ. And the one who makes it perfect is the one who lives in you. Now we're continually saying here that you must come to know Him as He is. And only the Father can reveal Him as He is because this term as He is means as He is and is and is and is, as He eternally is, who He eternally is. And yet that's how we must come to know Him. Why? Because that's who's in us. And if we, are to, if we are to see the length and the breadth and the depth and the height, and see those are things that are spoken of with Abraham, looking, at, looking at, 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 at the promise given to him of God and the land, that were speaking of all of that, and the seed that were speaking of all of that, all of that being brought into and fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And Abraham saw that reality long before there was a, a, a people to receive the law or a law given to the people. Abraham and, and the day that Abraham saw, Jesus said, he saw my day. The Jews couldn't understand that. They said, you're not even 50. How could that be? Are you greater or older than our father Abraham? And, and Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. You see, hon, Abraham saw the I am. 
And we, we're not going to get into that verse by verse or any other way right now, but that's what Abraham saw. And all of this took place at Mount Zion. All of this took place on an altar that Abraham built upon which Isaac lay. All of that is representative of the death, yes, but also the resurrection of the seed of God, which is Christ, which had to die that he may bring forth fruit in you, his body, his vineyard, his promised land. Hallelujah. Well, blessed be the Lamb of God, hon. What I wanted to do today and what to some degree have done is just focus our attention upon the person of all of this. The one who makes it real. <clears throat> the one who makes it real. We have so much today in our society. Not, I don't know whether it could be the political society or the legal society or the just, you know, social society. We have so many words we got so many words that then we get to where we think, well, now maybe we better start censoring out the words. We better start eliminating the words. I don't know, honey. Words change. Words come. Words go. But even when they are words that are worth hearing, what good are the words except there be a person behind those words who will fulfill and do those words exactly as he, I say he, her, said that they would. My point is here. Our salvation is not about words. Our salvation is the living word, the one eternal living word about whom every word in these scriptures do speak. Search the scriptures. They are they which testify of me. Jesus said that. I know you do. I know you search the scriptures. It's in them that you believe you find life. And they are they which testify of me. Yet you'll grab the words, but you will not come unto me that you might have life. The substance of words have to be found in the one who speaks them. Oh, honey. I mean, we've got lies today and have had for, for I'm not just harping on that, but I'm trying to make a point here. 
Because this could be in the church world, it could be in the world world, it could be in country after country, it could be found and is found, where there's just lies zooming back and forth like bullets. And yet they're all dressed up and presented as being promises and all of that. And sometimes they do voice promises, but none of them ever come around. So it's just empty words. Don't let that be so with our salvation. Our salvation is not a bunch of empty words. Who gives life to this book? The one who is life gives life to this book. Who gives life to your soul? The eternal Son of God who dwells in you if you are born from above, if you've received Him. He is the life of your soul. He isn't soul life, self life, no. He is eternal life. Paul says it's not I, but Christ who liveth in me. The life that I now live in the flesh. I do so in the faith of the Son of God. I do so knowing that Christ Himself is my life. Whatever He does, whatever I do, Paul says, whatever I go, I go there knowing it is Christ who liveth in me. I go there knowing that He is my life. He is my life. Well, that's what we're looking at here. That's what Zion speaks of. Zion is the place of the exalted view of Christ. And I just read, read that to you here. And I want to read one more place to you, because we'll come back to it. I sat in there a while ago and did all, did all these printouts and haven't used them yet. But that's fine. That's fine, because it was while I was doing all the printouts that I come to say what I'm saying anyway. Psalms 110. Psalms 110. That's 110, Psalms 110, verse 1 through 4. And I'm just going to read the last verse, verse 4. The Lord had sworn, hath sworn, the Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is concerning... Christ. This is concerning Christ. You can read that. And then we find that again. We find the Hebrew writer again, Paul, in Hebrews 5 and in Hebrews 7, referring to exactly what I've just read here in Psalms. God saying to his son, Sit thou on my right hand while I make thine enemies thy footstool. And it goes on in that. But it ends, 
saying, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Sweetheart, he is not just a priest when we first come to be born again. He is a priest forever. So I say to you again in closing that there's more to our salvation than a one-time repenting and forgiveness for sins. And I'm not making little of that. But hum, we've come to more than forgiveness of sins. We've come to Mount Zion, which represents the fullness of God in Christ. Which represents everything that God hath given to us in Christ. And everything that God has given to us in Christ is Christ. It's not about gifts. It's about the one gift of God. In whom all gifts, all grace, in whom all life abounds. It's Christ. It's Christ. And everything that Zion speaks of. And it starts out right there, really, in your Bible, it starts out right there with Abraham and Isaac. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Yes. Jesus says that same day, in John 14, 20, in that day, you will know I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. I'm not only really disappointed and heart sick, I'm embarrassed that today so many Preachers and teachers in the Christian religion will look at those very verses. Now, they can't get them out of the Bible. And they can't give them any other meaning than the meaning that is there. It's very clear. It's extremely clear. These verses are extremely clear and unmovable. So, they say, well, Jesus was talking about a day that is yet to come. Honey, not only was he talking about that 2,000 years ago, but more importantly, he was talking to that just two days, one day, hours before he went to the cross. Before he knew that his disciples would be plunged in to the greatest crisis of their life. And he wasn't about to leave them for 2,000 years. And he wasn't about to talk to them about something that wasn't going to take place for 2,000 years. He, was going to t he told them even when it would happen before he, and after he appeared to them for 40 days, he told them exactly when the return part of it would actually take place. And where they should go and wait for him. And they did, and he came anew.
And that's John 14. Read it. That's John 14. And that's where he says in that day, you will know that I have finished the work. I have done what I came out from my Father to do. I have presented, you will know I am in my Father. And you in me and I in you. You are come, sweetheart, to Mount Zion. You have come to the living person, the eternal Son of God, the reality of our salvation. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being with us in all of our sessions, those sessions that, that uh, our brother Bird, Rabin, is teaching, and those that Jimmy Collins is teaching, and those that Daniel, and all of those that are collectively and, and so forth, go out from this place. The nature of our desire and the purpose of our desire is that it goes out from this place throughout the Lord's body and around the world. And we're glad for the present venue. We're glad for the present means by which we're able to sit right here. Because we've all, we've all done a good deal of traveling. But we sit right here. And speak to places where we have been in our traveling. Speak to some of you. And some of you know that some of you have seen us this year. And will see us this coming year. But we also speak beyond that. For we are available wherever the internet is available. Throughout the body of Christ and around the world. So we thank you for being with us. It's a joy. And we appreciate you. We appreciate you who have just been really directed of the Lord and led of the Lord. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm just saying that's how the Spirit of God works. And we just appreciate your helping us with your support, with your finance. Not to maintain where we're sitting here. I mean, the buildings we have here, we use them every day, and we have our sessions here, and we have our, our conferences here. But we appreciate what you're giving, not to maintain what we have, but to reach out beyond ourselves. And it's there that your support is used to reach out beyond ourselves throughout the Lord's body and around the world. So thank you for that. If there's any way we can help you, if there's any way we can help you, if you need someone, well, I won't start into a bunch of speculations if there's any way we can help you. Please let us know. So the Lord bless And 
I will use the term a man and a man. <laughs> Bless his heart. Because it has nothing to do with gender at all. So may the Lord bless. Amen.